I am so excited to sit down and chat with Francine today. Francine has been in our programs and has actually started a professional organizing business um, and is coaching with us. Welcome, Francine. Well, thank you. Francine. Glad to be here today. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm thrilled too. <laughs> um, the question I always ask people in the beginning is, how did you end up sitting across the screen from me in a decluttering interview? <laughs> I said yes to Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the advice. Just say yes to Jess and move on. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so how did you end up saying yes to Jess? <laughs> it, I think it took me a it took me a while to find the right spot to be to handle the last of the memorabilia that I had. And I think that's, that's what it was. Um, the, I, I think probably your ad came up on Facebook because I was following the minimalists and uh, uh, Josh Becker's minimalism and that probably triggered that ad. So I watched it and I thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And what I knew, knew but hadn't really voiced was that there was something beyond just decluttering that was keeping me from moving forward with those last six boxes of photos. And there was a sense because we'd um, been through uh, several deaths in a really short amount of time and movements and just everything that there was more than just, this is how you declutter. This is how you organize, you know, uh, type of thing. And so it was the realization as I listened, to, I don't remember what it was, a boot camp, and then maybe uh, something else. And it was a realization as listening to the different kinds of coaching that it wasn't just, you know, how to organize and how to declutter, but the mindset and nutrition and the um, setting of boundaries that your parenting coaches teach and just all of it just culminated in it. And it, it's, it's probably like a journey of a lifetime to get to where I am, just like it is for everybody else. Yeah. The clutter does not accumulate overnight. It is definitely lifetime work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I was thinking back the other day and I've done this several times. It's like, it's like weight, you know, the weight does not come on overnight and, the, and clutter accumulates over a period of time, you know, or you're first out on your own, you don't have a lot of stuff. So you accumulate. And if you get married, or you have a partner, and you bring other people into your life, then you need more furniture, and then you need more pots and pans, and then you need this, and then you need that. And then you, you just have a lot of stuff. And then as you move, you can remove some things. And as you go through life events, that do happen, that do derail you, um, that you don't anticipate. Even the most well-organized person is derailed because 
uh, somebody goes into the hospital or somebody dies or uh, you take a job change or God forbid you have a flood or a tornado goes through your home or uh, something happens that shifts your daily routine. And so what you were normally doing, you don't get to. Maybe you did seasonal things. I used to do, I was very pretty rigid on every end of the year, the tax papers, the business papers, those were all cleared out. End of the school year, kids stuff got shuffled and taken care of. Seasonally, we move things around too. But sometimes there's just too much and you just don't get to those things. And that's that was part of mine too. You know, things happened and the boxes kind of accumulated. So we had them. But I was... Um, also um, struck, I went through back in 88, which is a long time ago, my mother-in-law died. And at that time, it was after that experience, we fortunately, we had someone come through the house and put it all together for an estate sale. And she gave us advice and that which was the best thing that was ever done. It just made it so much easier. But um I came back from that determined that, you know, I was not going to keep a lot of stuff and I was going to make sure I stayed on top of it. And I did pretty much um, up until I got down to those six boxes <laughs> and they weren't moving. And it was that was compounded by the fact that um, my mom had died. Uh, this, I came here in 21. So in two years before. And things were coming in from her house into mine space. And I knew there were more photos coming in. And I think that's kind of where I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all these? How am I going to handle all this? And I thought, I need help. I need to listen to other people. So that's that's what I, I did. So that's how I got there. Here. I think it's very interesting that we have clutter transitions cl trigger clutter right so when there's any transition in life you're bringing on more stuff and that's you know exactly what you said like you go out on your own you have your first apartment you need a whole house full of stuff and then you find a partner and you have a whole house full of stuff again and then you have a baby and then babies come with so much stuff and you know eventually you have accumulated if, if you lose somebody in your family then you have their stuff and it's multiple generations of stuff in one house. And if you lose, if you, if you get rid of stuff quickly, usually it's because of a traumatic event, right? Like a, like a flood or a tornado. So the complication with life and clutter, it's just, it keeps building and layering upon itself. And it's so fascinating to see the same similar elements in everyone's story. Right. And it is, I mean, it, it is, it is a constant, we're bringing things in, no matter how much, how little we bring in, we're still bringing things in. So things are always coming in and they're always going out. And it it's just has to make sure that you keep that rotation going on a constant basis. I think that's the critical thing. And then if you slow down a day or two, it's, it's okay. You know, you go right. on vacation right. and it takes two days to recoup and unpack. That's okay. But then you're, <laughs> back to a normal routine. So I think that's, that it's, it's just life. And I remember a couple of things always keep resonating with me. Um, 
Henry David Thoreau, 200 years ago, talked about simplify, you know, let your oh, be accounts as one or something like that. And uh, the railroad, we do not ride upon the railroad, the railroad, the railroad rides upon us, the burdens of having lots of possessions. And I, I would think about that once in a while, good old college reading days. <laughs> and then um, one of my favorite comedians was, is George Carlin who passed away. And I don't know if anybody's ever looked at his stuff video on, uh, you, I think you can find it on YouTube, but it, it was just, and I don't remember if it was 20, 30 years ago, but it was like, oh my gosh, stuff. You buy stuff and then you got to buy, go out and buy stuff to put your stuff in. And then you got to have a bigger house and on and on and on. So uh, that, that sort of thing too, was kind of always in, my, in the back of my mind too. And I did an, invent, a, an inventory in my mind um, a couple days ago, thinking about what do I have now that I had when I first got married? Hmm. I only have two things. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> I have, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to. <laughs> no, no, no. I will. I will. I will. It's uh, the sewing machine cabinet that uh, the first sewing machine I bought, I still use that cabinet as a table. It works well. And a jewelry box my husband gave me. Those I think are the only two things, well, maybe some dishes, but of the, if you look around at furnishings, things you, you can look out and see, that's it. And I was thinking like, wow, where did everything go? And it's like, oh, well, over time, the, the kids take their furniture and you decide that, no, I don't want this piece anymore. And so we're going to do with something else. And you know what? There's there are pieces of furniture that I have now that came into the house in, in different ways. Some are family pieces, which mean a lot to me. And um, years ago, when the rage was to buy lots of antiques, I said, no, I said, no, it's not. I don't want it unless it's been in my family. You know, so then to me that that had more meaning rather than going out and buying somebody else's story. That that but that's me. Everybody has a different uh, uh, concept. So that's why I have some family pieces, you know, that uh, um, that are important to me and that I use on a regular basis. So I think that's that's an important part is to use your memorabilia, display yes. your memorabilia. Yes. Don't leave it in a box. Or if you're going to make sure it's preserved, you know. Right. I think there's a big learning curve when it comes to memorabilia. You know, it's always the last thing that we tackle because it, it is the hardest. But we get to a point where, you know, we have all of this memorabilia and it feels heavy emotionally. But we also kind of know, like, we want to store it differently. We want to take care of it better. But it's hard to kind of break into that box, that first box and just start going through it. Memorabilia really has been the thing that you have focused on the most in CBA and right. as a coach, well, as a coach in CBA anyway. Um, do you have any insight for people about memorabilia? I, I think part of it is time. When you start going through it, make sure you are taking the time. And one thing I have done over the years is 
if I have something, I will mark on the box the date I looked at it, if it's memorabilia, and then I kind of come back to it. And I do think, and I know you've talked about this too, that on birthdays or, you know, seasonally, something you go back and you look at certain parts of your memorabilia, and then there are times that you can let go of them. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, the recognition that, and, and, and people have said this too, that you recognize the memory is in your heart. It is not in that thing. Uh, and so as long as you have those memories in your heart and in your mind and recognize that those memories come to you when you need them. You don't have to conjure them up. Um, they, they just come. And it's easier to find that when you have space. And I'm going to go back to memorabilia in a minute because I kept a lot of like classroom papers and work papers. And slowly over time, I would call them and they would be gone. You know, so they went away. But space and spaciousness is something I've been thinking about because I do some classes on clear your space, clear your soul at a, a local shop. And in some of the coaching sessions and some other things I've done over time, I, you know, I always go back and think about a, a memory, you know. And my memory has absolutely nothing to do with anything but sky and grass. And um, I think I was eight, nine, ten, something like that. And I was, oh, I think we were out in the North 160 on the farm. And I remember being out there and looking at the sky and just being overpowered by the spaciousness of the sky and just the land around me. And I felt I was, I would burst if I experienced it for too long. And so I, you know, you, you think that as a kid and then you kind of move along and life goes along. And then someone made a comment last week we were celebrating some birthdays and a person said, well, well, Francine, you know, you, you know, you did, you built the library, blah, blah. And, um, and, and then I said, Oh yes, I did that. That's what I did. And then it triggered in me. What I liked about that building process was that the architects and I liked space, lots of open space and, people space, how important it is in public buildings and everywhere to have people space. And so I, I've been processing those, um, um, that comment and then those memories uh, of work and of early life and thinking, okay, that's that spaciousness. And then I've also been putting together the fact that in the last years of her life, 
my mom spent the day at her house. Um, she would, and um, during the day, she, and she didn't do much, but I think she was processing everything and it was just space. And she had eliminated, I think, a lot of things from the walls and the house was pretty much all stripped down uh, of furnishings and that, just what she needed for people to come, you know, everybody had a chair to sit in that. But there was a sense to me that there's a thinking process and a spaciousness and that because things are stripped down from your walls, you're not stuck by things. And so you can have time to think and you have uh, that that spaciousness and that space to think. And that gives you the opportunity to, you know, accept grace and give grace. And it just kind of all fits together in that way. This is so powerful listening to you talk about spaciousness. I see now why you wanted to name this interview spaciousness. Well, I... I I have a little trepidation in, 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 in talking like this because um, not that I'm not comfortable doing it, but you know, it is what it is. Not everybody will agree. But one of the things that huh, I've also been thinking about, and I think it, it speaks um, more to the metaphysical side of life Um and, you know, that is, if you, if you think about, you know, our mind, our hearts, our souls are within the human body. And there is that struggle for that, for us to get in contact with our souls and our hearts and our minds on a more meaningful basis. And that is what the coaching, all the coaches do that you have. They help us identify that. And there, there is that constant, it is a spiritual struggle, universal struggle that everybody goes through um, because that physical life is difficult. Uh, I think that's the first law of Buddha, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that when we have clutter in our houses, though that clutter is holding energy and the energy it holds is we can't our vision our eyesight is stopped by that stuff and so the energy that we can use to get to help expand our heart mind and soul kind of gets stuck because it's in that that clutter or that extra stuff that's in the house because that energy, whether it's like, I have to dust that. Why do I still have that? And it has all this trim on it. I hate to dust. <laughs> um, or why, why didn't I pick up that laundry or why is that laundry still here? Or, Oh, why did I buy that vase? Why do I still have that? Or so-and-so gave me that. Do I still need to, you know, all those questions we have to deal with when we're decluttering, unless we just say, okay, it's gone. It's done with. Every time we see those things, our, our minds, our energy goes toward that stuff rather than the important stuff, which is having our hearts and our minds and a soul 
in, in the right spot so that we can have spaciousness so we can really enjoy the people who are around us and to have other experiences. So that's kind of, that's what I've been processing lately just for myself to think through these things. And the reason I've been thinking through these things is that everybody has, or many people, I should say, have, ex have expressed the concern, the fear, what do I do when I've done decluttering? You know, what's on the other side? What happens next? And so I had to kind of take it back into a, a, a different way of, of looking at it to kind of work myself through this and help me understand more of myself. But there, but in order to do that, it's been because I've taken the time over the last year now, really, to either participate in the sessions that you've had with the different coaches um, or to rewatch them, uh, you know, and, and to absorb those lessons and take action when I needed to. And then that's how I am here where I am now. Francine. <laughs> okay. You, this is like so important. I actually think that people don't start decluttering because there's so much fear about what happens if I get to the end of decluttering. I don't think we necessarily recognize this, especially in the beginning, that this is something that is holding uh -huh. us back. But it truly is because when you're done decluttering, what are you going to focus on? Where is your energy going to go? Are you going to feel uncomfortable with all that spaciousness? And I think that was part of the reason those photos, I was down pretty well and that, that was holding me back. So I think, I think it was that fear and it was like, oh, fear, but but listening, you know, Allison, you know, talks about our brain likes to place a safety, you know, and it is, and it's true. There is, there is that, that comfort level. So when you get out of it, I think back to the, so I have to kind of go back to think about the space in the sky. And the thing is, you know, this type of reflection is not something that a person consciously does. It sometimes just happens because you've op I, you whatever have opened up avenues to pursue it, and that we take a step forward and say we're going to do it. You know, it's um, you know the recognition that I have an issue, I've got a problem, I'm right here. This this is what, and sometimes just take a step to take action. It's like way up here. You know, and it really should be not a problem. Boom. I'm just right up here. I'm going to take care of it rather than that gap. Um, and I, I, and I, and that is why the, the different coaches and the community helps build in the decrease of fear or the more sense of resilience, uh, I think. And so... 
Yeah. And life is really trying to figure out yourself anyway. So that's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> I know. If, I don't know if you listened to Patty's interview yesterday, but uh, I did. definitely talked about understanding your authentic self. <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And what you're going to do. And um, yeah. So it's a beautiful process to go through. And instead of making decluttering scary and, you know, holding us in place by fear, if we can let spaciousness into our thinking and just mm -hmm. kind of move that fear a little bit to the side and make room for the beauty of the process, it, it is, it's, it'll be so much easier to take that next step. It'll shorten that space, right? Right. Just a little bit of spaciousness. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's sometimes it's, it's not, I just think that looking at life's clutter, because everybody has clutter um, to some degree, that looking at it through the different lenses that you do of the, the mindset and nutrition and the goal setting, all of those aspects um, help, help us look at ourselves and take action a little bit better and more clearly because we're just not, we're not just our clutter. We're a whole bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. That. Yeah. We're not just our clutter. You are not your clutter. You're not your stuff. You're so much more complex than just that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. We have a comment here. I'm not sure if you can see the comments or not. Okay. So um, a Facebook user here. Sorry. I don't know what your name is. It says Facebook user says uh, some of us are not, our brains aren't remembering well. And I think pictures of items can be good. And I think the bigger point and what Francine is really sharing with us also and encouraging us to remember is that having space allows the memories to come up. It's even if you don't have a photo of something, that space to breathe and space to exist is what allows us to remember differently or better or more. And when you're just so bogged down with so much stuff, it is really hard to find the space for the memories. Um, that's true. And I, I know that uh, dementia patients, for example, Alzheimer patients, they strongly recommend having, you know, photos for them to refer to. And, re and, and that is true. But, and this is something I am working with and reconciling in my mind that memories are good and they can be helpful, but if they take us away from the present and the future, you know, is that beneficial? That, that's just a philosophical question I wrestle with um, because there we, our present is influenced by our past and our present helps us predict and create our future. You know, we know that. And it's just um, something, something to consider. But also, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a real concrete example of 
the power, the ups and downs of memory. Um, when mom died, it's three years ago this fall, the house is left to five children. And it's just close to the pandemic. And the oldest daughter and her husband hunker down there for uh, a few months. And then um, there's some other events happening in the family and things like that. And oldest child thinks, well, we'll just take on the house, you know, and I will give my siblings time to come get their possessions and take their stuff and let's move the furniture out. And somewhere along the line, and I knew this because I'd heard it before years ago, and I think somebody mentioned it along in some of the classes, but, but that, that house was becoming the memorabilia. It was the, it was the big box holding it all in. And some, about two or three months ago, I just made an abrupt decision <laughs> pretty much. And I said, nope, we're not going to buy this. We're, we're not, because that's not where I want to be. I don't, I, I just, I didn't want to be, it wasn't where my family was. My kids were in that. And I really wanted to have that, those things going on. So I made that decision and there was like a huge release that went off me. I mean, there was also like a financial responsibility because we've been taking care of things for two years at the house. Good. Two, two and a half years. Yeah. So um, that's over. That's done with. But there is, there's this, it, it, it's, it's complicated because you have the sense of somebody needs to be the family historian. Who should that be? Who should keep those memories? And then how do you keep sharing that? Um, and where's the boundary line? And that's what I'm wrestling with. And at this point, you know, um, one, of my, one of my sisters is willing to take it all on and hang on to it. I thought, okay, good. You're 10 years younger than me. It's okay. I'm at a different, I'm at a different point in my life. And I think, I think that's the important part is recognizing we're all at different points in our life. What was important to me at age 60 is no, is not as important what it was important to me at age 21 was a whole lot different than when <laughs> I was 16 or 45, you know? So I, I think that's the important thing is, and in my life, I've always been blessed with the, I was blessed with the wisdom of two grandmothers um, who are wise, strong women. And I was blessed with that. And I was also blessed with knowing women who were good 10 years old, working with women who were 10 years older than I was. And the wisdom and the experiences we shared was invaluable. And that's one of the reasons this Prioritize Your Sanity, Clutter Boss Academy all work, because you have people of all different ages. And when you have people of all different ages and experiences, it enriches it all because um, people, yeah, I can think back, oh, well, that was a really good idea. So-and-so is using It's like, wish I would have known that when I was 30, <laughs> you know, like some of these people do now. So um, 
I, I think that's what uh, lends so much to the, the business here of it. And um, I, I also think that if people have memorabilia, the important thing is that you store it properly. And if you have a local historical museum who can take your items, good. Um, it, it's entirely personal and it's unique to every individual. There is really no one size fits all on this. You know, it's just what you have the space for. Yep. What you have the space for, what your personal history with your memories is, what you want to share. I, I The thing I love about memories is that they're yours and nobody else's. And if you right. try and compare your memory to somebody else's memory, most likely their memory is different than your memory. And that's really fascinating to me. So you can be storing a, a physical representation of a memory, but it will trigger a different memory with every single person who looks at it. So it's interesting. Right. Well, anytime if you sit down with siblings, you realize they have, they had a different parent than you did, even though you all had the same parents. And it's like, well, wait a minute. The parent was in a different position at a time this time. So they're going to do things differently, you know, and it, it's just the way it is. <laughs> One size does not fit all. Does not fit all. And I think this decluttering process helps us look at memories and our memories with different perspectives. And that allows you to release a little bit and create space for what rises to the top, which is probably what is the most important thing. Right, right. Because, oh, what is Whitman's line in Leaves of Grass? It is a self striving for self or something. Oh my gosh, I should know that, but I don't remember. It's something like that. Um, or there is an old poem about parenting. Oh, I'm going to wreck this. It's something about your children are not your children. You know, they are the future. Something like that, but it's not quite like that. Anyway, those types of things. Yeah. And it's in letting and it's in and really letting go is the freeing part of life because letting go gives you space to discover. And that's always scary. Um I am reminded now of Joseph Campbell who taught myth. I don't know if you I've, I've read the, uh, I've read some Joseph. Power Campbell. of Myth. Yes. My mother's an English teacher. So, <laughs> well, in, in the mythology, we always, um, things mark birth, you know, and you go into a dark place, into a cave immersion, and then you come out into the light and then you have a whole new way of thinking of things. And that's kind of what the decluttering process is. You're going, you're coming out, you're coming out into the light, into the space in making new discoveries. And I think that's really important and to find that space in your heart to do those things. In your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your house. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a comment. Is it children don't belong to us? Is that the phrase? Could be. I don't remember. I would have to get on Google and start looking for it. You know, <laughs> we're going to have to search that up. <laughs> yes. I think people should. I think it's fun. Discover that for yourself. I remember interviewing 
uh, the a poetry chair, um, honorary poetry chair. And I said, well, I said, where do your ideas come from? Something like that. And he said, there are no new ideas. You just find different ways of expressing them. So anytime I mess up a quote, there's it's an idea out there. It's just a new a, expression. You know. <laughs> new way of expressing just, it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. You've given us so much to think about, Francine. I am walking away from this interview feeling more spacious in my body right now. It's incredible. Oh, I love everything. Um there's you'll have to go back and look at these comments because there's an awful lot about, you know, like just how you phrase things and how you're making people think, how you're helping people think differently about their stuff. Don't let memories in the past affect the present and the future. It's okay to let go even of mem of even memories to make space for new memories. That's right. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you do carry that DNA still in you. Absolutely. And you just go on and make and create and make more because you take what you have and you and you go into the future. It's always, it's always evolving. It isn't I also, like, Think about, you know, people a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, there was no, we have so many memory record keeping devices that never existed before. And I wonder if the emphasis on memories was quite as strong back in the day as it is today. My sense is no, but there's no way really to know. The Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, that's a, composition retold and retold the book the giver by mm -hmm. lois lowry mm -hmm. is about institutional memory being kept in a person that passed down word of mouth word of mouth um yeah i don't know it it, it makes for interesting thinking right like for sure we had oral traditions and passing down of stories but were those stories individual memories or were they collective memories it's just mm -hmm. um i wonder if having a cell phone in our hand and a camera all the time is making us just kind of over emphasize the importance of the individual memory because mm -hmm. it is it's more it's collective memory but then again the individual story helps build the collective memory right <laughs> it's, it's synergy it's really it's a synergy of everything that creates that, you know, and as long as it's truth, it's all good. <laughs> I guess the topic of truth might be one for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. So true. So I'm a little spacey, you know, <laughs> Francine, thank you for imparting your wisdom to us today. Um, my last question, my wrap up is, do you have any advice for anybody who is stuck or just getting started? What would be your number one piece of advice to leave with our listeners today? Oh, gosh, I'm going to sound just like Patty yesterday, but just do it. <laughs> just take an action and move because I, that is true. I mean, you can have the thought in your mind. But unless your body actually does the actual act of doing, it doesn't do it because your body takes that muscle memory and it needs that memory to go forward because then it's creating something else in your mind and it's just building that momentum. Take action. Friends, if you are listening today, 
go and take action. Tanya says this conversation is very healing on my memorabilia issue. I will make decisions on choosing to live in the present over the past. I love that, Tanya. I'm so glad that this conversation can help you take action, take action. Francine, thank you for sitting down with us. It is oh, my welcome. honor to talk to you and, you know, just really healing words here. Yeah.